Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, I trust you have your study guide this morning, and uh, we are in chapter 5 of Matthew. Today we are in verse 9. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, title of the sermon today is Making Peace. Making Peace. For a a little help this morning, if you could give to me, uh, those who are gathered here, if you're online, maybe you can type in the comments. What are some of the most significant challenges that we're facing in this year, 2020? Talk to me a little bit. What are some of the, just maybe one or two words, what are we facing here? Virus, all right, coronavirus, that, that might take the, the top of the list. What else? What are some other things that we're facing right now, challenges? Politics, all right, that's definitely a challenge. Somebody else? Separation, all right, division. What else? Anything else? Uncertainty, not knowing what does, not what does tomorrow hold, what does this afternoon hold, right? What, what does today hold? And as we, as we face these challenges, you know what I will observe is no one here this morning said, and I haven't seen any online comments yet, but no one said, just too much peace, love, and harmony, Pastor. There's just way too much. I mean, Thanksgiving, family getting together, there was just too much peace and harmony and love expressed. And and so if we could figure out how to tone it down a notch, that would be great. Now, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. All right, now, and the Hebrew understanding of shalom is much broader than our understanding of peace. When we think about peace, we might think about a sense of calm, like everything is in its, you know, everything is good, everything is quiet, peace and quiet. But the Hebrew word for shalom is that everything is in its place, that everything is right where it needs to be. Everything is right as it should be. It's the idea of balance. So when you think about peace, when you think about shalom, are we seeing that in our own lives? Everything is right where it needs to be. My work life is not ebbing too much into family life, family life into, you know, where I am spiritually and my time with the Lord and everything has its place or is one pushing into the other and taking over, making peace. When you watch the nightly news, if anybody even watches the nightly news anymore, generally we get news feeds across our devices, our phones, whatever, computers. Are we seeing stories of peace? Every now and then, there are some developments that have happened in the Middle East that have been unprecedented. There are signs, there are glimpses of peace, but there's not an abundance of peace. We have to understand as believers, what is the problem? If you're going to understand the problem, then we can look for what is the solution to the problem. If we don't know what the problem is, 
then what solution makes sense? How are we to be peacemakers? Now, there are those who would say, you know what, I have, I have really no desire to be a peacemaker. I really don't have much desire to do anything that God says. I, I live my life by what I want to do, where I want to go, so I make my own peace. Listen to what the Word of God says for those who are in rebellion against God, who live in disobedience to His Word. Isaiah 48, 22, there is no peace says the Lord for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 21, again, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. No peace, no shalom. So when everything seems out of control, when everything seems out of balance, it's because you and I are personally lacking peace. Possibly our priorities are out of whack. They're out of sort. False prophets of every generation come along, and what do they promise their followers? Follow me, I'll give you what you want, and of course, don't you want peace? Vote for me, I'll give you what you want. That's like elementary school, little student council elections to everything else, right? Vote for me, free lunch. I'm voting for him. I'm voting for her. Jeremiah 6 and verse 14, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, and here's what the Lord's problem with the false prophets, the false teachers. They're saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Jeremiah 8, 11, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. A reoccurring theme where the false prophets we're saying, calm down, everybody. It's going to be okay. Here's peace. I give to you peace. But the Lord was actually sending violence through a message of Jeremiah the weeping prophet, prophet to wake his people up. And false prophets were saying, oh, calm down. If we can just have a, a economical, you know, economic stability and political stability, then everything will be okay. And who's going to give us that? Jeremiah, shut your mouth. Ezekiel 13.10. Judah was on the verge of being carried away into captivity, into exile. Ezekiel was preaching repentance, change your ways. And you know what the false preachers, the false teachers, the false prophets were preaching? Patriotism. Patriotism. Be loyal. And, and Ezekiel, you're not being loyal to the mother country here. You're discouraging the hearts of the people. Uh, but here's the problem. Ezekiel was in the long line of the men of God, bringing to bear the word of God upon the people of God. Would they listen or would they say, we don't like your message? So I'm going to go over here to this other person because they tell me what I want to hear. I actually had a lady tell me that in the past couple of weeks in conversation. She asked me a question out of the community, and she said, no, 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 hold on a second. If you're going to tell me anything that it disagrees with what I've asked, then I just don't want to hear it. I said, well, that's pretty honest. You know, I wish everybody was that honest. You know, just say it like it is. You know, I don't really want to hear what you have to say. 
if it's different than what I already believe. What does Ezekiel say? Precisely because they have misled my people, saying, here's the Lord's problem with these false prophets. They say peace when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. Oh, this is going to last. Good work, everybody. We're doing what we need to do. We're going to be safe. We're going to be okay. And the Lord in that passage and in that book and in that prophecy says, I'm going to tear it all down. It's all going away. Your work, your activity, it's going to fall apart. You need to trust in me. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, it's a message from the king, and it penetrates our hearts. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says this, talking again about the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus was establishing an entirely new and different kingdom. As we have seen in all our previous studies, there is nothing more fatal than for the natural man, that's the unregenerate person, the person who's not come to faith in Christ, the natural man to think that he can take the Beatitudes and try to put them into practice. Only a new man can live this new life. Remember, beloved, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount isn't a how to be saved, how to be right with God, do all of this. No. From the mountain, Jesus delivers this in-depth description of an upside-down life and the person who has been born again This is going to bear the fruit of repentance in their life. They are going to be reshaped, remade into the image of the Lord Jesus himself. And this is what makes a people countercultural. This is what makes the people of God refreshing when everywhere around us is unrest, division, discord, no peace but there's something different about the people of God, the family of God, or there ought to be. And when there's not, we need to take note of it and there needs to be repentance. So from the mountain, we hear the message of the king. Matthew chapter five, verse one, seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is what a disciple says. This is their confession. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is how a disciple feels about their sin. They mourn over their sin. They don't celebrate sin. They don't excuse sin. They don't hide sin. They don't run from it. They mourn over sin. Verse five, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And this is how the disciple thinks. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is what a disciple pursues in their own life, and they long for this hungering and thirsting for righteousness in the lives of those around them. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is how a disciple responds. Well, how does a disciple function? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is who they are. They've been purified, and they are being purified. Today's text, blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they shall be called the sons of God. This is what a disciple does. This is characteristic description of a disciple of their life. This is what they do. They're a peacemaker. So what does it exactly mean then to be a peacemaker? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? We're not talking about being a peacekeeper, okay? We're not talking about just treading lightly on eggshells because, you know, if you say that, then you might offend them, and then they're, they're going to, you know, withdraw from relationship. They'll not talk to you anymore. They'll unfriend you. Uh, they might, you know, go find a different church to be part of because they got offended, it's not talking about peacekeeping. Jesus is not advocating here, beloved, that his followers do whatever it takes to keep the peace. In other words, peace at any cost. No. That's not what it means to be a peacemaker. That's peace faking. Not peacemaking. Michael J. Wilkins, he says it this way. He says, the theme of peace permeates the biblical record. It indicates completeness and wholeness in every area of life, including one's relationship with God. That's where it begins. Neighbors and nations. All right, so it begins internally and moves out. It's vertical. There's a vertical aspect to being at peace and then there's a horizontal aspect of being at peace. John Calvin, 500 years ago, he says, by peacemakers, he, and he's talking about Jesus, means those who will not only seek peace and avoid quarrels as far as lies in their power. Okay, so there's the one thing. I'm, I'm doing everything I can to seek peace, avoid quarrels as far as lies in their power, but who will also, okay, it's more than that labor to settle differences among others, who advise all men to live at peace and take away every occasion of hatred and strife. That's a peacemaker. J.C. Ryle, he, Jesus, means those who use all their influence. I like that. That, that really kind of puts it down to give handles to me. Someone who uses all their influence to promote peace and charity on earth. If I was going to have a succinct definition of a peacemaker, I think that would be it. Use all my influence to promote peace and charity, peace and love on earth. That's, that's everywhere. That's my family, church, family, community, state, nation, world, right? Right? in private and in public, at home and abroad. He means those who strive to make all men love one another by teaching that gospel which says, quoting Romans 13, 10, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, beloved, when we come to this verse today, this really hits an, a new level in my heart. This, this is where I'm quickly in the deep end. Anybody ever been thrown in the deep end and you didn't know how to swim? Or it was deeper than you thought it was? Yeah, this, this is this verse for me. I think perhaps this is one of the weakest areas of my life. If I'm gonna say it positively, 
this is the area where I could really grow the most, and that is being a peacemaker. And I remember when I was probably eight or nine years old, our family took a trip. We were in New Jersey. We were staying at somebody's house. I think it was the parsonage of a, of a pastor of a church somewhere in New Jersey. And we stayed there for a few days, and I remember there was a couple of cats, and I overheard the adult conversation that these cats weren't getting along. And so I'm observing these cats, and I'm thinking, you know, in my heart, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the peacemaker here. I can fix this problem. These cats, they just need to work it out, and I can help them. And it was the day we were saying goodbye, and I remember, like, I have one more thing to accomplish yet in this house, and it's these cats need to get along. And all the family, everybody was saying goodbye out in the living room. I remember making my way into the kitchen, which was kind of tucked away around the corner, and I brought the one cat that was having the issue with the other cat, and I just brought them right in, you know, and I was like, here, and I put that cat at the other cat, and all the family heard, wow, man, it was like, I didn't do the right thing, okay? It's a wonder I survived those two cats. In my heart, I wanted to be a peacemaker. The way I went about making peace, it didn't help. It didn't make matters any better. I think it left the family thinking, who is this little hellion that these, you know, this pastor and his family, and this is a kid, get them out of our house. I know my parents were like, we're so disappointed. This kid's probably not ever going to turn out. Look at what he, you know, all of this just happened in a moment, and my intention was good. My method and methodology wasn't good. Maybe you've been there. I have where I've been called in and I've told families sitting at their table, okay, you've brought me in to, to mediate a situation. Let me tell you how this goes sometimes in my experience. You want me to bring to bear the word of God on your family member. Your family member is gonna turn and then you guys are gonna pair up and I'm gonna be the one left out in the cold and you're gonna find the new church. <laughs> and it happens. Sadly, all the desire in my heart to bring peace, to restore fellowship, and whether it be through a lack of really good understanding on my part, good listening, hearing what the issue is, asking enough questions. I went back and listened to the message when we went through Corinthians in 2017. Those sermons are online. There were three parts to the church in 1 Corinthians 6, and they were suing each other. And Paul was dealing with how do you resolve differences? How do you resolve conflict? My heart breaks over those relationships, whether it be in my family, people that I've loved, people in church family, people I went to college with, people I've served with in ministry, people in leadership levels. Just in my own realm, there's people outside of our realm in, in public positions or, or more prominent positions who have fallen. Some have fallen away from. They've moved membership. They go somewhere else thinking the grass will be greener on the other side of the fence. We'll find another church, and that's the place where we'll be. You know, that's where we'll thrive. And there was every opportunity for that person to resolve the conflict that was actually in their own heart and in their own life. And God had designed in this church everything they needed, but they wouldn't listen. And that's not to say that no one, no one should ever, ever change church. I'm saying this, though, on the authority of the word of God. There are people who cut and run before the Lord's work is done in them. And it grieves my heart. Some have even fallen away from the faith. 
And they'll take to social media platforms and they will blast the faith that they once professed. And they will defame and dishonor the Lord Jesus who they once stood here in this place and claimed that it was his blood that washed away their sin. And now they celebrate sin. They flaunt sin. They publicly don't care what anybody thinks. And that, my friend, it breaks my heart. It grieves my heart. And I look back over that and I think through those situations and say, how could I have done a better job? How could we as a church family done a better job at being what Jesus is talking about here? Bringing peace, not peace faking, the peace of God into a situation that flows out and it presses into every corner and every crevice and it permeates our lives with an aroma, a fragrance of grace. I wonder if you long for this. As I'm bringing this message, a full disclaimer, I'm not the authority on this message. If this message is only if you have arrived, then here you can deliver it. Then we would be waiting until Jesus comes in whatever door just comes in through the room and says, okay, now you have somebody that can actually teach you this from perfection. So we're in this struggle together, beloved. And there's four essential truths that we want to look at this morning. If we're going to be as disciples, and here's what I... Here's what we want to understand. If you are a Christian, then you are a disciple. If you are a disciple, you will be a peacemaker. If you're not a peacemaker, you need to evaluate if you're a disciple. And if you're not a disciple, you're not a Christian. It all goes together. It all, if you have peace with God, you will care and you will do everything. You will leverage every opportunity to bring peace into the lives of those around you. Perfectly no but it will be the desire of your heart and my heart to bring peace into the lives of those around us and it will break our hearts and cause us to fast and pray and mourn over sin in people's lives and in our own lives and in our own failures that may have contributed to, I, that I have contributed to some people saying, well, there, that's the reason why I'm not listening because look at you know, how he responded. Look at his facial expression. Look at this. Look at what he said. And our aim is to say, Lord, forgive us, humble us. Meekness says, you're right. I have been wrong. I probably will be wrong again, no doubt, if I live longer. Jesus is the one we look to. And when we, when we look to Jesus, then we can cover the, the sins of one another and say, but I know that you love me and I know that you want the best for me. So I'm going to look past how this situation may be unfolding or this confrontation or the conversation where you're bringing to bear the word of God on my heart, my life, my lack of peace, my waywardness, and I will look to Jesus. That is the aim of this sermon. Four truths. Number one, what's the problem? The problem, beloved, is us. I can make that more personal. The problem with our church growing and then declining and growing and declining, you, don't, you wanna know what the problem is? Me. Me. And the problem is us. It's always easier for me to blame other people. But what can you then do about that? 
when we take responsibility, that's when we can actually change. Sin is what causes separation, beloved. Every breach in fellowship, every breach in relationship, every tear can be traced back to and attributed to the root issue is sin. And right out from sin is pride. What will kill a relationship? Pride, which is sin. Without Christ, we have a vertical problem. All right? We have a vertical problem. This is where it all begins. And if there's no, if I don't have Jesus, I don't have an answer to this vertical problem. It's our relationship with God. And in Genesis chapter 3, everything fell apart. Everything was in its right place. Everything was beautiful, perfect. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, fellowship. They had enough time for the Lord. They had enough time for each other. They had enough time for the work that they did. They had enough time for everything. And then sin, and welcome to 2020. I can't wait till we get to 2021. You, you, you really thinking, you banking on 2021 to be the year of peace and fruitfulness? All right, we better, we better take today and say, Lord, thank you for today. And I'm going to trust you because you'll give me the grace I need for today and tomorrow morning, your mercies are new and I'll trust you for what I need tomorrow. Beloved, sin ruined and destroyed everything. What's the problem? Me. The problem is us. The disciple is the one who, after hearing the gospel, cries out for mercy in desperation, saying, I'm bankrupt. I'm poor in spirit. Religion, moralism, it cannot sufficiently remedy the problems of my sinful heart. It can't do it. In Isaiah 59, just if you will turn there with me. Isaiah 59, we get this bleak description, this awful description of God's people, the religious people, the right people, the conservative people, okay? They're on the right side, they think. God is on our side. We're on his side. We're his people. We're chosen. The problem is there's no peace, Isaiah 59, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs. They weave spy, a sp the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies. And from that one is crushed... Uh, is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity, the, and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. I mean, this, this is like 2020, guys. The way of peace they do not know. And there is no justice in their paths. 
They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Therefore, justice is far from us. And righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight amongst, among those in full vigor. We are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us for our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. That's a prayer of confession. And when Paul writes in Romans chapter three, building on that earlier in the chapter, he referenced Isaiah in verse 19. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Why? So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law is like a mirror and it shows to us our problem. But the law cannot solve our problem. We need the gospel. So we have a vertical problem. We have to start there. What's the problem? The problem is me. The problem is us. The problem is our sin has separated us from God. And oh, our sins cannot be removed by doing good deeds. So then without Christ, beloved, we have a horizontal problem in our relationships. If this relationship is broken with God vertically, then every relationship from the first marriage, the first family on has experienced conflict. Anybody here experience conflict in relationships with your parents, with your siblings, with spouse, with children, with coworkers? It's everywhere. Conflict. Why? Because of sin. Sin broke the first marriage. And every relationship, oh, the first family, Cain and Abel. That didn't go out, that didn't go so well. Where Cain was filled with envy and pride in his heart. Jealousy. Think about just an overview of history. The children of Israel, well, their history is filled with disunity, complaining, self-centeredness. The disciples of Jesus, now those are our guys, right? Hey, uh, what was it you guys were fighting about on the way? Jesus would say to them, what, what was that, uh, argument you were having. Um, um, Jesus knew. Who's the greatest? Bring me a child. All right, bring me a child. Here, you have to become like a child. The church is in the New Testament. Oh, they were free from conflict, weren't they? No, we studied Corinthians. They had nothing but conflict. What about our homes? What about our marriages? We experience strain on relationships there. What about in our church? And think about it. What, in our part, what about our partnerships? Do you think in Egypt and in India and Africa, they don't have conflict and they don't suffer like we do from strain in relationships? Oh, it's universal. I don't care what country you get off in. 
you hop off the plane, you step foot in that country, and people in that country experience the very same thing that we do, and that's conflict and brokenness in relationships. The world cannot fix itself. It cannot heal the hurts of the hearts. So then people throw themselves into causes. Save the whales, save the trees, save the environment. How's that going? You can't. The law of thermodynamics, it's all going down into judgment. But what about your soul? Is is there peace in your soul with God? Do you have peace with God? Beloved, the problem is us. We have to start there. We are not the Savior, Jesus is. We aren't the solution, Jesus is. We don't bring the kingdom, Jesus will. He ushered it in, and he will bring his kingdom in his second coming, the second advent. So then what's God's solution? Now that we have the problem, let's look for the solution. God's solution, his name is, say it with me, Jesus. Okay? It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. God made a way. He made a way for us to be reconciled. For our reconciliation, God became a man. He dwelt among us. Jesus. He provided a way. The gospel is the only solution to our problem with God. How do we work our way back? We can't. We simply have to own it. I need mercy. All have sinned. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Have you come to that place in your life? Have you ever confessed that to God? I am a sinner. I have offended the greatest being, the creator. I have not lived according to your laws. I have not put you first. I have broken your law and I deserve punishment and judgment. And But you realize, but God gave Jesus and he bore the punishment that was headed our way. He took it upon himself. The Bible describes God as a God of peace. Paul emphasized God's character as peacemaker when he wrote to the churches. Romans 15, he says, May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Romans 16, 20. The God of peace, okay, so lest we start thinking that the God, God of peace is just calm and it's this dis- diminished, you know, tranquil being that's just all light and glory. Listen, the God of peace will soon crush Satan where? Under your feet. The God of our Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is coming. We aren't going to crush Satan. He will under our feet. That's power and authority. 1 Corinthians 14, 13. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. What do you think should characterize churches filled with saints? The peace of God. A peace, God's peace, it's freely available to all humanity, but it came at the highest price. It was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. And in that week, as the week of passion began to unfold, and in Luke 19, 41, Jesus comes in, he looks over the city, 
and he wept over it, wept over Jerusalem. And in verse 42, he said, would that you, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Have you ever talked to someone and you knew exactly what they needed? You knew they were making bad choices, wrong choices, hurtful choices. And it's like their eyes are shut. It's like their eyes are closed. And they can't see what you're saying. They don't hear with their heart what you're saying. And they just carry on like they're in a trance. And they're just going to do what they want to do. And the psalmist says in Psalm 120 and verse 7, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. They're just looking for a way to argue. They're just looking for a way to defend. They're just looking for a way to justify. They're just looking for a way to destroy the messenger. And the question is, but is the message right? Is the message true? Through the cross of Christ, enemies, that is God and man, separated by sin, can be reconciled and made friends because Jesus accomplished a mission of mercy. Colossians 1.15, begin there. He is, speaking of Jesus, Paul writing, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the top, the priority one of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, Colossians 1. And he is before all things, that's his eternality, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How, Paul? How is God able to be at peace? The war ended with man through by the blood of his cross, it cost him his life. That we have a message of peace. Oh, we have a problem, but God is a solution. It's Jesus, John Stott. He says this. He says, now peacemaking is a divine work, for peace means reconciliation. And God is the author of peace and reconciliation. If God is a God of peace and we are the people of God, what should characterize our lives? Peacemaking. The gospel is the divine solution for our problems with people. Are you at peace with God? Do you have peace with people? The gospel is the divine solution to our problems with our relationships. John 17, Jesus prayed for his disciples that they would live in peace, that they would live in unity together. Have you ever heard the saying, like father, like son, right? Like, ah, I know who your dad is. I see the resemblance. 
I see the characteristics. Listen to what Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, his disciples there in the first century, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, all right, united. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you, that you have sent me. This is what's connected to our unity, that the world will believe our message. They will believe the gospel. If we're not united, if there's not peace in, among God's people, they don't, have, they don't listen to our message. It's not attractive. It's not transformational. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one. Why? so that the world may know that you sent me and love them. How much? We say it every week, you are loved. How much? Greatly loved. Love them even as you loved me. That's how much the Father loves you if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, Hear Christ saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest, come. Drink of the water provided freely to you. Jesus' church is the place where God's peace is to be put on display for all to see and come experience. It's not, don't touch, look, don't touch. You know, you walk in a store with kids and the owners, you know, start like watching and freaking out. Like, you're gonna, don't let your kids touch anything. You're gonna break stuff. Hey, come on in, right? This is where you come in and experience this. Segregation, division, it should melt away in the body of Christ. Does it? Not quickly enough. But the gospel deals with this. Paul wrote to the Ephesians chapter 2, verse, 20, verse 13 to 22. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. I love that. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That's what the gospel does. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace, verse 16. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached. What was his message? Peace to you. Where were we, Gentiles? Far off. And who else, who else did he preach to? Peace to those who were near, the Jewish people, his brothers, his nation, his people. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the, now he switches it. He switches it from uh, citizenship to family. Because you can switch communities and zip codes and change neighbors, but your family's always your family no matter where you go, no matter how far away you move. And he says, you've been made members of the household of God 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's what he's doing this morning, beloved. He is building us together as a dwelling place for his Spirit. So do you think he cares about how we treat one another? Do you think he cares about how we respond to God if there's peace in our lives with God or not? Yes. Problem is us. God's solution to our problem is Jesus. Thirdly, our mission is global. All right, we're moving out from here. We're instruments of peace. Instruments of peace. A Christian's life and ministry becomes devoted to reconciliation. It is the main thing. If I'm going to glorify God, then I exist to reach people for Jesus Christ and connect them with other believers. That's our purpose statement. That glorifies God. Do I glorify God? Are we glorifying God? If we're glorifying God, if we're on mission, then we're helping others enter into the peace of God. How do they do this? Receive Christ. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ. And it's not just the message of the pastor. That's the message of all of the people of God, all who are disciples, disciples, are disciple makers preaching this gospel of peace, bringing this good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who come preaching the gospel of peace, Isaiah said. Don Carson, he says it this way. He says, thus the good news of Jesus Christ is the greatest peacemaking message. And the Christian who shares his faith is fundamentally a harbinger of peace, a peacemaker. We come preaching a message, hey, do you realize you are squaring off and a day of judgment is coming against the God of the universe who created the sun that you can't even look at and you will stand in his presence one day, but he has made a way for you. He's made a way for you. So beloved, evangelism is not an option for us. It's not a gift given to some people who are Christians. Evangelism is essential to every disciple that we think globally, but we act right in our own families and in our own neighborhoods and our street and where we work. One of the greatest ways that we can share Christ is when we simply let the peace of God rule in our hearts. And that is that it's the referee that the, it's the referee that throws the flag, blows the whistle, calls the foul, not me. Hey, that was wrong. You looked at me wrong. You did that wrong. I'm the referee. I can find stuff wrong in everybody. And, and what is it? Law for you, grace for me. Instead of grace, but it's not an abusing of grace. You can just do whatever, whatever you want to do, and there's grace and grace and grace. No. Shall we sin that grace may abound? No, no. God forbid, No. That doesn't describe a son of God, a child of God. So evangelism, 2 Corinthians 5.18, Paul says, he says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's all of us, beloved. We're all on mission here, Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Be thankful. 
Evangelism is not an option. Discipleship is not an, an option for us. Oh, we strive to help others come to know, love, and follow Jesus. That's our fifth distinctive of who we are as a church. It doesn't stop with us. It goes, it extends to the world. So we want to help others experience, have peace with God. Enter into that peace. Are you at peace with God today? But it doesn't stop there. We are then used by the Spirit of God in the ministry of reconciliation to help others experience peace in their relationship with other people. That's, that's what it is to show mercy that we will roll our sleeves up and we'll engage even when we might suffer. We're peacemakers. Beloved, let us pursue peace in the relationships in our own families. What does this look like for you right now? Are you pursuing peace with those who are in your family, good communication, serving in love and humility? Are we experiencing peace in our homes and in our families? Why or why not? What's there? What's missing? How have you been responding to conflict in your relationships lately? Blame? Denial? No, that's not true. That's not me. That's them, 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 them. That goes back to Genesis 3. It wasn't me. It was the woman you gave me. It wasn't me. It was the serpent. Oh, we're good at this. You don't have to take any classes on this, nor do I. Oh, well, Ginger always cracks up because, uh, well, all I was trying to do was, you know, and there it's put myself in a good light. And she's like, well, all I was ever trying to do. Ah, sarcastic. I gave this uh, slippery slope diagram back in 2017. It's from the uh, ministry. Now the ministry is called Relational Wisdom 360. All right, I think it's like rw360.com maybe. Ken Sandy. This resource was uh, made available to me or brought to my attention. And I was frustrated by it. And I read The Peacemaking Pastor by Alfred Poirier. I actually called him, and he returned my call and gave me about 30 minutes of his time. And I said, I, I feel burdened. I can't do in the structure of our church what the Bible is commanding a shepherd, a pastor, an elder to do. And you know what he told me? He said, hey, stay in there, be faithful, and call me when your church transitions to eldership. You know who I called when we transitioned to eldership? Alfred Poirier. Because now we have a structure that's the family. How do we deal with conflict? How do we resolve conflict? It's not subject to vote or how long you've been a member of a church or what positions you serve. It's what does the Bible say and how are we responding to it? Plain and simple. And it doesn't matter if you're a celebrity pastor or a nobody who simply shoveled, shoveled a, a sidewalk one time at a church somewhere. We are all, if you belong to Christ, accountable, loved, in need of holiness, and to be peacemakers. And you see this, this slippery slope, right? It just goes from, on one side, the responses of attack, you assault others, no, litigation, up to the worst murder. The other side of the, the slope is, is running from people, it's denial, it's flight. You know, maybe that's your response. If somebody confronts you, you're like, I'm out of here, I'm done talking, I don't want to talk anymore. The worst on this end is 
suicide. It would just be better if I wasn't here anymore, and that'll just solve all the problems. No, it won't. In the middle is the peacemaking process. You can overlook someone's offense. You can, you can think the best of them instead of just having to, to just go back at them. And reconciliation, sometimes it's negotiation. I want to understand what you're saying. Help me understand what I'm missing. Sometimes you need arbitration. Somebody else, you call a brother in Christ like Matthew 18 and advises us. And we say, will you sit down with us? We want to help us mend and heal our relationship accountability, that, that's all. Where are we in this process? Where are you? What is natural for you? What comes easy to you? But what is right to do? We want to be used by the Lord in helping others have peace in their relationships. Not find out after someone is already divorced, hey, pastor, we just want to let you know we're divorced. How, how can we help? How can we engage? We want to be connected. Know where each other is. That's why it's important to be in a small group community and fellowship together so that you actually know others and they know you and we walk through life together. Beloved, listen to it. If I'm not helping, if you're not helping other people, be at peace in their relationships with God and their relationships with other people, then we're not obedient. Therefore, I can't have something's wrong in the peace in my relationship with God. It's not where it should be. It's not balanced. It's not right. Don Carson says it this way. He says, the Christian's role as peacemaker extends not only to spreading the gospel, that's true, but to lessening tensions, seeking solutions, and ensuring that communication is understood. I'm thankful for eldership because I've seen this process to where we can sit down in the company of leaders and questions can be asked to understand exactly what's going on. Let's get what's really happening before we go suggesting, here, do this, do that. What's really taking place? And you need different personalities and temperaments to do that. Pursue peace in our families, in our relationships. Pursue peace in the church, in the body of Christ. Paul writes Romans 14, 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Can you highlight that verse? Can you record that verse? Underline it, do whatever it takes. This is what we're called to do is we're gonna pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. 1 Thessalonians 5, 13. Esteem them, the leaders of the congregation, very highly in love, those who have taught you the word of God. Why? Because of their work. And here's what blesses pastors, elders, teachers, parents, when you're at peace among yourselves, when everything is where it should be, when you think, are my children still alive in the back room? It's been quiet for 10 minutes and you open the door and one's coloring and one's reading and one's taking a nap and you're like, oh, peace, amazing, right? Celebrate that. Sinclair Ferguson, he says this, he says, many churches are destroyed because the members or leaders 
shirk their responsibility precisely here. They do not regard the work of peacemaking to be appropriate for them. They forget that those who destroy God's temple will be destroyed by God. Quoting 1 Corinthians 3.17 there. Their own wisdom in their own ways is more important than God's will, which is for peace and harmony among his people. I wonder, beloved, do we love our own opinions or are we willing to love the church and pursue peace? Lastly, it's our identification. The problem is us. The solution to the problem from God is Jesus. Our mission is global. We're peacemakers, instruments of peace. Our identification, who are we? How will people recognize us? This is radical. Remember what they said about the apostles? They could tell that they had been with Jesus. Sons of God. The King James translates this children of God. It misses something. That's not, a, that's not a, the best translation. Sons of God. A disciple's life and legacy should leave no confusion as to who their father is. If there's confusion in our, you know, here we have our church life and then there's my work life, there's this other life. If there's confusion between those and people don't know that we have a father in heaven, something's wrong. There should be no confusion that our father is not the devil, but that our father is the greatest peacemaker. It's God who sent his son. Beloved, Christians are different because we are peacemakers. We're not peace breakers. We're not peace fakers. We're not just keeping the peace. We are peacemakers. Is that you? Does that describe you this morning? By God's grace, let's travel that road that's less traveled. Let's go that way and let's enter into the lives of others. Let's engage in their lives, bringing God's peace where it's needed. But why are Christians different? And this is where, when Jesus says, they shall be called sons of God. He's talking about identity, that Christians are owned. That's what he has here. We're different and we're owned. It's not just what people call us. It's that who have we been called by? You see the difference? One is greater than the other. To be called son by our Father in heaven is it's way better than when crowds desert you, leave you, abandon you, and don't call you anything except expletives. But if you've been called son, who will bring a charge against God's elect? No one. No one can, and it will stick. Disciples shall be called sons of God. Jesus is emphasizing character here above position. So when somebody says, you're a son of a dog, they're not talking about that they, you know, where's your four legs, tail, and, and, and canine teeth? They're saying your character is that of a dog. 
Now, Jesus employed this once when he was talking to his enemies, and they didn't take too kindly to what he said to them. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus was dealing with the character of his enemies. They were moral. They were upstanding. And Jesus says of those religious leaders, you are of your father. Oh, who's our father? Not Abraham, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. And listen to me, beloved, it always is. Whoever your father is, that will govern your desires in your life. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And none of them said, amen. They said, how can we put him on a cross as quickly as possible? To be called sons of God, it speaks to the character of our lives. How will people see the character of our lives? When they see the peace of God that passes all understanding, functioning from him to us and through us to everyone, even people across the political aisle, even those who are of a different ethnicity, even those who are in a different system of belief, and we will seek their good for the glory of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So I'm going to ask you again this morning, does that describe you? Is it your driving passion to do the will of your Father in heaven? At all cost, do you have peace with God? Are you bringing that peace to others? The problem is us. The solution is Jesus. Our mission is global. We're instruments of peace. And listen, beloved who we are, our identification is radical. Think about that. If you're in Christ, a son of God, a child of God, let's stand together. Father, as we draw near to you, oh, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us and cleanse us. Help us to be instruments of peace that you would use us to bring your peace into the lives of others around us. Oh, Father, as I think about your word, Hebrews 13, 20, in this prayer, that the God of peace who brought up again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship our King. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. 
please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.